Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now are you ready to get this dumpster fire started? Let's get the dumpster fire started. Let's do it. You know what we never do at the beginning of these of the show anymore? What? Say who we are. <gasps> You're correct, sir. I keep having to cut it in from old episodes. <laughs> People will start to notice, probably. Well, but if they don't know who we are by now, I'd say that's their problem and not ours. Well, but we might have like new people. That's true. We we might. We might. Just maybe. Just maybe. So uh, so I'm Aaron. I'm Jordan. And uh, we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's amazing film. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the surprise. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. I've been thinking about this movie a lot since we watched it. Yes. It's just been like running through my mind of like all the things that I wanted to talk about. And I feel like such a nerd because I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, "Mm, yes, Wes Anderson. Like it's like (laughs) I'm some fucking intellectual or something. Well, it's a it's a movie full of tiny things. This is true. You know, some like literal tiny things. Yes. Yeah. The way that I think about Wes Anderson films is that you've got beer. Right? Yeah. So you've got films that are just beer. Right. Everybody likes it. It tastes okay. Yeah. And people are just going to keep drinking it. But then you've got Wes Anderson, which I think of like Stella Artois. Like it's yeah. fancy, but not too fancy. And it's got just enough of its own like personality and characteristic that you can set it aside from the rest. Yeah. I mean, I don't like beer, but that just was like the best example that I could I think, think of. I think that's a very apt example. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, Wes Anderson's like this like really kitschy, fine wine. And then I'm like, no, it's not no. wine. Because even though the settings of his movies are kind of kind of pretentious, kind of high profile, especially for this one, it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. You know, you still have these characters who cuss like sailors yeah. and do appalling things to each other. So it's not really wine. It's more just like a fancy beer. It's just so funny because, again, you have these very well-to-do people in these well-to-do places. Yeah. And they're they're just the dirtiest mouths, you know, and the, the dirtiest kinds of people. But I think that's what makes it so interesting is because... Looking at these stories, like just just think about the stories themselves without the characters or anything like that. The stories themselves are not super interesting. No. They're they're not something that you're like, oh my God, that plot is phenomenal. Like, oh, mind-blowing. Right. It's a very simple plot, but I think he does that for the sole purpose of making the characters more interesting. Yeah. You know, 
you you take kind of a bland story, but then you add some colorful characters and they make the story that much better. I think that's exactly, that's Wes Anderson's MO. He's a character guy and he's a set guy. Yeah. The sets and shots in this movie are some of the best. I love them. They're fantastic. And when I think about, like, for example, when I think about The Life Aquatic, I can't exactly remember the plot. I can't think of how the story goes, but I remember Bill Murray. Yeah. I remember, you know, all the other great characters that are, that were a part of that story because it doesn't matter what the story is actually about because right. they just open their mouths and amazing dialogue comes out. That's the other thing that I noticed too is that his writing style and the way that he has people talking, it's not how normal people talk, but it doesn't bother me. It's not like in my Shyamalan, Elliot <laughs> fucking biology teacher it's the opposite of the happenings dialogue yeah it's like a higher level like i don't know it is another it's next level dialogue absolutely yeah it reminds me of older movies like the maltese falcon stuff like that he's he's just developed his own almost genre even because i i don't even know how to what where to put grand budapest hotel you could say drama you could say comedy but but there's not really a place to put it yeah you know. Wes Anderson has his own very unique style. Nobody else does it. He's perfected it over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think the Grand Budapest Hotel is is kind of like the the ultimate Wes Anderson movie. You know, you can see him building up to it with a little bit of kitsch in the Life Aquatic, a little bit more kitsch in Moonrise Kingdom, yeah. which I fucking love. Yeah, me too. And then this masterpiece of the Grand Budapest Hotel that was just so Wes Anderson. It might as well. It, it's his stamp. The way he sets up his shots, the colors, the little details, the little stuff that's just off in the corner or maybe in the foreground. Uh, and, and we'll get to some of this stuff as we progress yeah. through discussing the plot of the movie. It's just these little things that make this movie so great. We'll get into those, though. Yeah. There was a cast of 102 people. Yeah. That's main actors, ensemble, extras, bit parts, like that 102 people. Yes. That's 102 people that you have to make costumes for, give props to. You either had the greatest time ever coming up with the props for this movie or the worst time ever because you had to come up with 1930s props for every single scene and it had to be very specific to the hotel to that person to that character so like if they to the color scheme of the particular shot yes and like i i mean i know that those people are getting paid tons of money but at the same time i probably have a heart attack if they were like here's your prop list and i'd be like guess i'm gonna go jump off a cliff now all the shots were set up so tightly that i can only expect that wes anderson sent a lot of props back and said this ain't gonna work right yeah this tissue box is the wrong color for my scene (laughs) fix it it's not the right shade of orange exactly because that's but, but that's the thing though is like wes anderson has like a shade of orange and a shade of pink and i've noticed that with a lot of his movies is that those are just his colors. Like they need to come out with a Crayola box with just Wes Anderson colors. I'd oh, use would the shit excellent. out of those colors. Yeah. But this movie was a much brighter movie than Moonrise Kingdom though. Moonrise yeah. Kingdom had kind of a, you know, a muted hipster photo motif. Yeah. That he did throughout the movie. This is like on the opposite end of that where everything's very bright 
and vibrant and the shots are are wide and things in the shot are very small in comparison it's really kind of interesting how he reinvented the look for the film but it's still very Wes Anderson yeah oh yeah for sure and we talked about this uh, when we watched the movie on Monday was uh, we talked about his animated films then uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of the Dogs haven't seen either okay I would say that you should because they are even though they're an or animated claymation however you want to say that right um Again, they are uniquely Wes Anderson. Same dialogue, same colors, same... I mean, it's the same character, like, same actors as the voice actors. Yeah. You know, so you still have your familiar feeling with the same kinds of people that work with Wes Anderson. And the stories are great. I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my favorite animated movies. It's just... It's a lot of fun and, you know, it it follows the story of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I don't know if you read that as a kid. Um, but then Isle of the Dogs is, and yes, it's animated, but it, it moves so far away from what he's done, you know, with the fact that all the human actor or all the human characters in this movie speak Japanese. All yeah. of them. Well, okay, there's there's one girl who's an exchange student. She doesn't speak uh, Japanese. Well, she does, but she speaks English too. Right. All the dogs speak English. So it's just very different and it's not quite as brightly colored and but but the story is really good and the characters really drive it. So, I mean, by the end of the movie, I was like, you know, kind of missed it up a little bit because it's just it was just so heartfelt, which is not. Is it kitschy? Does it have the, the Wes Anderson kitsch? Factor? Yeah, it yeah. does. But it's not. See, in a... That's what I love about him, though. Yeah, that's one of the things. Moonrise Kingdom was chock full of the kitsch. Yeah. And, and that's kind of that's the movie that got me into Wes Anderson. Full of the tightly centered shots and titles right in the middle of the action they'll do a title sequence or somebody will just pop in out of nowhere and explain something they did that a lot in this movie too yeah narration in the weirdest of places or they'll have like a really tightly centered shot but then something will come out of like into frame and draw your attention but the shot never moves and i love that he also did a thing in this movie. He did a lot of panning shots mm-hmm. that were very awkward. I don't know if it's because this film was presented mostly in a four to three ratio, but those panning shots just looked digital. They looked like, I don't know if they if they were done with some kind of post-processing effect or not. Maybe they took the shot from one angle and another shot from another angle and then digitally blended them. I don't know, but it doesn't Maybe. look real. And that's okay, because this is a story that's being recounted with a little bit of flourish, obviously. So that's okay. Again, I think it just adds to the personality of the film, and it adds to to the things that he does, because again, that's very distinctly Wes Anderson. I agree. It was obviously designed to look not normal. Yeah. It, it was designed to... It, just the panning shots alone were weird, because they would have a shot of somebody walking towards the camera and then they'd maybe pan the camera to the left into a doorway and then have them turn the corner and go into the doorway yeah weird stuff like that nobody does those kinds of shots maybe that's why it seems so weird to me because nobody does that but it worked yeah it looked great maybe this is just me being a movie elitist but (laughs) i i really love that you can you can walk into a room and you can pick out a director. It's the same with like Quentin Tarantino. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Like any, you walk into a room and even if you didn't know it was on, you could go, oh, 
that's a Wes Anderson film. Yes. Like, you don't even have to know which one it is. It's just you know instantly who it is. Yeah. Um, and and obviously not every director can be like that, but I just think it's it's the mark of a good director when somebody can instantly just go, yep, that's their film right there. It's very difficult for me as a filmmaker and maker of other things to develop a style. Mm-hmm. I don't have a style with anything. I'm always trying to find a style. I feel like the best people out there have a style that's defined, that they can reproduce, that's always got their character to it. Wes Anderson is the best at that. He's, for me, it doesn't get more stylistic than him. Yeah. It's like you say, I could walk into a room with a Wes Anderson film playing that I'd never seen, I'd probably recognize it as a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, but I don't know if he's always been like that because I was thinking you haven't seen Rushmore, have you? Yeah, I've seen Rushmore. Okay, so I mean, it, it Rushmore was a very straightforward film. It, it was, and I don't think that he really got into his style until he got into the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, that to me is where I felt like he was like, okay. What can I do to make this distinctly me? And he did it with the bright colors, with the interesting characters. And, you know, and this is this is the other thing is that the stories, while they're not particularly interesting, they're just a little bit fucked up. Yes. Like there's something about it where you're like, man, that's kind of that's really messed up. Yeah. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Example. Yeah. Or I think of like uh, the like Darjeeling like that. That whole movie is just a little bit off kilter somehow, especially because like the characters, the the background of each character and like the the actual story itself. Like it's like each each story. I feel like there's just something just a little bit just off. Yeah. It's just part of Wes Anderson's style. This movie actually won four Oscars. It won it for costume design score. Uh, which was done by Alexandra Dupla. Production design, makeup, and hairstyling. It was up for, I think, Best Picture. So this movie lost the Oscar to Birdman, which was a fucking great movie. It was. Another movie that's incredibly kitschy. It's it, like kitsch yeah. versus kitsch. Well, and again, you're facing up against, because there was a lot of good movies that year, but you're facing up against a style that not very many directors are doing, which was the continuous shot. Yeah. That's a very risky style to do because it can go wrong in so many ways. But Well, it wasn't really a continuous shot, obviously. Well... But it was very cleverly edited to look that way. But even still, I mean, there were shots that were continual shots. And so that's very difficult. And I think... I mean, this This was a whole movie that was made to look like one continuous shot, complete with a track playing in the background the entire time. That sounds like it was just freeform jazz through the whole thing. Yeah, it was really, really fucking kitschy. So I I can't feel too bad about Grand Budapest losing out to Birdman because that was a phenomenal movie. Yeah, Um, but still, even for Oscars on a movie, that's that's awesome. I remember watching the Oscars that year and being really torn over those two movies Mm -hmm. uh, because I loved them both. And there was also some other really good movies that were nominated that year, too. Yeah. 2015 was a good year for film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had some good ones. So they had a $25 million budget, which they had to... Really? uh Uh-huh. I would have expected more. Mm Mm-mm. The gross worldwide total was $174 million. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, they 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 made their money back plus some. Yeah. This movie looks like it was a $50 million movie to me with all the sets and 
all, yeah. all the really cool stuff. Now, there was the one scene where they had to use CGI that was fucking terrible. Where? The skiing scenes. I mean, that's that's where your $25 million movie kind of shows. <laughs> but the sets were so elaborate and yeah. everything was so beautiful. It do, It just seems like a more expensive movie to me. The skiing thing, it didn't bother me because it no. was just so him. If somebody gave me $25 million to make a movie, you know what I would do? What? I would attempt a revival of the late 70s, early 80s comedy movies with lots of tits and lots of partying, you know what I mean? I'd try and bring that back because that seems like a no-brainer to make some money these days. Yeah. I'd, I'd, do, I'd do a National Lampoon's movie, only I wouldn't make it shit like everyone seems to want to do when they take on a National Lampoon's movie. Well, but if you do that, you have to like take out all the millennial garbage. I don't I don't need any millennial garbage in my movie. Yeah, but if you're if you're wanting to make money, you might have to. Millennials don't have any money. <laughs> They'll pay you an avocado toast. <laughs> yeah. Were they going to pay me a depression? <laughs> I would say that that's offensive, but it's true. It's true. It's true. Um, not that I blame them. Their, their outlook is not so good. <laughs> Sorry, millennials. So I was. we were talking about how watching this movie, it, it feels like you're watching a play. Because, again, everything is centered super tightly like you're in a theater watching it on the front row. Right. And the the way that they are talking to each other and the way that their bodies move and, and even, like, the CGI skiing. And, like, that's all stuff that I feel like you would do for a play. Right. You know, you obviously can't have somebody really skiing on stage. So you're going to, like, have wind blowing and snow and make it look like they're skiing. And that's yeah. what it made me feel like is I'm watching a play. And I didn't even really pick up on that until you said something about it. I didn't I didn't really get that, but I haven't ever been into theater. Yeah. So it wasn't really uh, something that popped into my head. This movie's really interesting because there are kind of two plots going on. You've got Zero, which is one of our main protagonists mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, and he's speaking with Jude Law's character. So Jude Law's character is either an author or a journalist. And Zero is telling him the story of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, how and, he came to acquire it. Right. And when he is telling the story, the movie is presented in a 16 to 9 ratio, which mm-hmm. is what we're all used to. For people who don't know what a 16 to 9 ratio is, it's widescreen. But when they are doing what's essentially flashback mm-hmm. narration, the narrated part of the story is presented in a 4 to 3 ratio used to be able to buy dvds and you would have to pick either the four to three version or the 16 to nine version which was really confusing for me i spent a lot of money on four to three movies because i thought (laughs) my tv's in four to three because all tvs used to be more square than they are now Mm -hmm. and no don't do that get the 16 to nine good to know good to know when i'm buying my dibidus you know i went to the goodwill and i bought 25 vhs tapes today what for, man? To give out at Geek Fest. <laughs> I got I got some fucking good ones. I got Home Alone 2. <gasps> yeah. Lost in New York. Yeah. Shut up. When Harry Met Sally, I got You Got Mail. <gasps> yeah. I loved that movie. Days of Thunder. Ooh, yes. 
and a bunch more. So if you want to win any of these uh, films on VHS, come on down to Geek Fest. It's the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th of August. So get your fucking tickets now and get on down there. We're all going to be there. Yeah. Do you, can you tell them what city it's in? Because they may not know. It's in Killeen, Texas. Yeah, there you go. It's at <laughs> some college. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, we're all going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be there all weekend. Jordan's going to be there giving foot massages to the lies. first 10 people lies. that retweet. No, lies. That's a bunch of lies. Because if somebody comes up to me with their goddamn foot, I'm going to chop it right off. We're not going to allow Jordan to have any knives, so come on with your feet. I'll do it with my hands. My hands are little and sharp. Chop them right (laughs) off. (laughs) I just just keep thinking about, like, if you're giving out these VHS tapes, like, you're going to get the one that is actually porn that somebody, like, taped over. There were some homemade tapes at the Goodwill. I went to the outlet where they just have bins of shit, and I dug through all that shit, and there was one that said... Mardi Gras 1987. I thought about buying it. It was, you know, a VHS tape with a sticker on the side, handwritten. Titties. Mardi Gras. Yeah. I thought about getting it just to see what was going on, but I don't have a VHS player. So I could just, I could just see somebody being like, Ooh, you've got mail. It's so retro and cool. Yeah. And they go home and they take it home and they're like, You've got mail. <sighs> you've got mail, genitalia. I think that was a, I think that was a family guy joke. It was kind of funny because. They had all of these awesome VHS movies there. They were, like, all good. Yeah. They didn't have any, like, Van Damme movies in there or, uh, like, Steven what? Seagal movies. I would have thought that there would be more shit at the Goodwill's movie bins, but there wasn't. It was, like, all good movies. Hmm. I guess I guess that's telling. Yeah. Yeah, so if you are interested in finding out if the movie that you just got at GeekFest is porn, come on down. Grand Budapest is kind of like a story within a story within a story because you start out with the author who's reading you his book. Right. And then it goes into the time period with Jude Law and the older Zero. The story starts out with Jude Law asking him, like, how did you come to acquire the Grand Budapest? And he was like, well, come join me for dinner and I'll tell you. Yeah. And he's like, you know, back in the day when the when everything was new and I guess it's set like in the 30s. Late 30s, maybe? I think it might be, uh, yeah, late 30s, start of World War II, but it's not really World War II. No, it's... It's like a fantasy World War II. Yeah. And so he's telling them how, you know, everything was held to a higher standard. The concierge was the best concierge that ever lived because he's comparing him to Jason Schwartzman, who is looks like a scuzzy little dweeb just in this movie, not in real life. I'm just saying in this movie. He wasn't he wasn't a very good concierge for the Grand Budapest. Jason Schwartzman? Yeah. The pie fucker guy? No, that's not the right guy. Who's Jason Schwartzman? He's the <laughs> Who the fuck is Jason he was, Schwartzman? He was the concierge in Jude Law's Grand Budapest. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the guy from I Heart Huckabees. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. His name was M. Jean in this movie. He right. didn't he didn't really have a a really big part, but so they start the story of the, you know, the heyday of the Grand Budapest Hotel. And we see all the beautiful Wes, Wes Anderson oranges and pinks and yes. centered shots and instantly a beautiful miniature of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, I bet he has that somewhere in his house. Oh. Like, just it, like with lights on it. And it's just like this gorgeous thing when you see it. I would it. love to own that. Tears just falling down your face just in awe because the scale that they had to go to to make it 
usable for film, but also to have the detail and the color that it did. Like, yeah. Oh my lord! Like it's it's it, kind it was, of amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. Great, um, great miniature. There's there's some other great miniature work in this film too. Mm-hmm. It's almost realistic. It's just unrealistic enough to make you go, ah, that's a cool miniature. Yeah. You know, and everything's brightly colored, and he's talking about this amazing concierge who is played by Rafe Fiennes. Your name's Ralph, motherfucker. It is Rafe. It's it's not Ralph. I, I bet he would kick you in the crotch if you called him Ralph. I would not fucking call him Ralph to his face. <laughs> that dude looks like he would fucking rip your head off and not even think about it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, so sorry. And just keep He'd be like, walking on. Your head's an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just kick it down the road. He just looks like an intense person. He like does. Any movie that he does is just like it's just the, it's his eyes yeah, he's There's, got those beady little eyes like, he's got like kind of like a crazy vibe behind his eyeballs like at any moment he could just like snap but in this movie he was just fucking adorable he was in his beautiful velour purple suit yes, yes. just so so lovely and he he's this dapper man with a mustache who's very particular and you know he sleeps with all of his older lady customers and yeah, they he's, fall in he's love swindling with old ladies yeah. basically what i love about that though is that he does not care like he's like i sleep with all of my friends like yeah. what does it matter yeah once you realize that this guy's a grifter you almost feel like it's okay because he's so nice he was banging madame d <laughs> and every time you saw them together there were a couple of scenes where where you saw him together he was awesome to her he might be pulling a scam where you know, he's trying to get into her will. Yeah. But, I mean, he kind of earned it. Yeah. I mean, if if you had to deal with Tilda Swinton's character, who was awesome, by the she way. She was so awesome. Tilda Swinton is always awesome. Oh, yes. It doesn't matter what she's doing. She walks into the room and it's just instant, just high profileness. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is instantly a better movie because yeah. Tilda Swinton's in it. She had to spend five hours in a makeup chair putting that makeup on she was practically unrecognizable which yeah. it seems like a shame to me to get tilda swinton and then make her not look like tilda swinton well and then she wasn't even the even in the movie for that long yeah like she true. had maybe like three scenes yep one where she was dead yeah they paid a fortune for her i guarantee you well but that's the thing though is like he has all of these actors that work with him on a regular basis you know you've got bill murray jason yeah. schwartzman jeff goldblum jeff goldblum like you just have a, a regular host of people that work with him yeah these guys are expensive actors but i don't know like i feel like for wes anderson maybe that's like a just like a nominal fee like just yeah. pay me just pay me whatever you think because like, they got to be giving him a break this was a 25 million dollar movie Right. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that these actors, like Bill Murray, like he's still a high profile actor. Like, Huge. He doesn't do acting anymore. You got to really write that check to get him out of bed. But he was only his screen time was like, what, maybe five minutes? Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Let's say that you are a director that I work with on a regular basis and you're like, hey, I have this project, but I'm only going to need you for a few scenes. I wouldn't be like, okay, but I'm going to need $2 million. I might be like, okay, yeah, just, you know, pay me for my time and this amount of money. But, you know, it's not going to be a regular fee. This movie, they couldn't have been paying the actors much because 
you've got a $25 million movie with some amazing sets Mm -hmm. and you got Tilda Swinton, you got Jeff Goldblum, you got Edward Norton, you got Bill Murray, you got Ray Fiennes, you got Adrian Brody and Willem Dafoe. Yeah. There's no way that these guys got more than a million a piece or or even close to that. Yeah, but... Damn, that is a good paycheck at the end of all of that. Well, sure, but like, it sounds kind of silly to say, oh, he, he only got a billion dollars. A million. Well, but I guess if you're if you're working with any other director, they might be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be signing for $10 million. When Christopher Nolan comes knocking at your door, you see dollar signs. When Wes Anderson comes knocking at your door, you see an opportunity to, to do something excellent. Right. You yes. Know? Yeah. But like, that's not even a real number to me. I could say 11 billion trillion gazillion and it's not even a real thing to me. Because for me, like if, if the day that I'm, I'm saying this as if I it's going to happen, but the day that I like sign a contract for something over like a thousand dollars, I'll probably cry. Be like, oh my God, guys, they're paying me $5,000. Like it's yeah. you know, <laughs> Halle Berry got like five million dollars for swordfish which was a fucking flop well because she showed her tits that's why yeah but still five million dollars just to show your tits come on <laughs> sign me up no shit <laughs> i would fucking i i'd let him do a colonoscopy on me for five million dollars man <laughs> jesus christ i'd let him see everything it, there will be no no secrets on that no. movie set so Ray Fine's character He's a rafist. He's a, not really You just got rafed. <laughs> That's what he says to all his women. I surely hope not. He's way high way too high class for that, I feel like. I don't know. He's probably not. He's probably a really crude motherfucker like Russell Crowe. I hope so. You, know, you see these guys that go on film and they see him all hoity-toity i like to think that they just sit around with their hand in their pants like the rest of us <laughs> the thought of ray fines <laughs> sitting on the couch with his hand halfway in his underwear eating a stuffed crust <laughs> with the other hand <laughs> that's so fucking magical i need that in my life like for real yeah for real like hey man he's a person just like the rest of us <laughs> i want to believe so <laughs> Ray finds he is entertaining this heiress or duchess or countess. Co- oh, she's a countess. Okay, probably. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, she's very rich and she's very dependent on him. At the beginning of the movie or at the beginning of the story, we see that she's you know leaving for the season and she's like, I don't want to leave. Please don't make me leave. And he's just like, No, we know you have to. You have to go home and you have to you know leave the hotel. Like get out right. of my hotel in the room. So then she leaves and we're introduced to Zero's character, which I feel so terrible because I wrote down all of these other people's names because I'm like, oh, I know who that person is. And I didn't write his down. He was Um, played by Tony Revolori. There we go. I mean, I know he's done a bunch of stuff like he's he's done a lot of stuff. I just don't think I've seen him in anything else. Tony Revolori was in Spider-Man Homecoming. He was in. Yes, he was. Yeah, he totally was. Yep. And uh, and that's about it for the movies that I've seen that he was in. He's got an impressive resume. He did a movie with Dakota Fanning. He was in Workaholics. He was in... He was on a movie called Dope, mm-hmm. which I've never seen, but I've heard is very good. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a pretty impressive resume. And, I mean, for this guy who, you know, like I said, I didn't really know who he was. He just comes in and he's working with these heavy hitters. And he really holds his own with yeah. these guys. Like He's, he's great. He's really great. Yeah. Um, and he plays the new bellboy who just shows up. And Ray Fiennes is like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you? He's like, I'm the new bellboy who draws his own pencil mustache on every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> First thing when he gets up. He gets out of bed and walks to the mirror and draws a pencil mustache on, which there, is There's fantastic. a point in this movie where he gets kind of roused out of bed really quickly. And he jumps out of bed and runs to the mirror and draws a shitty, like, crooked pencil mustache <laughs> yeah. on and runs up. It's very important to him. Yeah. And his costume, so great. Monsieur Gustave is wearing a purple velour suit and the bellboy is wearing a purple bellboy outfit. Yes. So they're all matching. They're they're all so cute with their little matchy outfits. Very colorful. Yeah. A splash of color to every scene. Yeah. It's almost like blinding purple like it's it's yeah. so purple like it's the purplest purple to ever purple like yes. i don't even know how to describe it yeah just very royal purple beautiful so he takes on zero as i guess has kind of his protege teaching him all the ways of the hotel and how to you know help clients and customers and how to be the very best at his job and to i guess not necessarily not at this point he's not grooming him to take over for him but he's just grooming him to be as good as he is right the countess dies and they're called to her house because he is in the will. Right. Monsieur Gustav goes to the house and he is told that he is given one of the most priceless pieces of art that she owns, Boy with an Apple. And it's an awful painting. Yeah, it's 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 the worst. But he says that I think that she I think she left it to me because it reminded her of me. And he like <laughs> makes the same yeah. like boy he does holding the, the apple, apple gesture. <laughs> It's fantastic. But Adrian Brody mm -hmm. is her son. And he's a douchebag. He's a super douchebag. And he's got yeah. a, he's got a goon uh, played by Willem, Willem Dafoe, Dafoe Jopling. He's probably the scariest looking person I've ever seen. And if I ever yeah. saw him in a dark alley, I'd probably pee my pants. But I because I love the characters that he plays and the kind of actor that he is... I love watching him. Willem Dafoe is a genuinely ugly person. <laughs> but he does it. He wears it well. I don't know if I would call him ugly. He used He's to be just... a lot uglier than he is now. He's aged well. But if you look at him like in Boondock Saints, he just looks horrifying. He looks like a Muppet that's just gone off the deep end. I have to say, like him playing the Green Goblin was probably the best fit for his face yeah because he could do the wide eyes and the smile and you're like oh yeah that's you are totally green goblin like 100 yeah. like your face and your voice perfect and we talked about this before he was uh nosferatu in, oh yeah in the nosferatu movie i still haven't i and, still haven't looked that up yeah he looked really cool he made a good nosferatu yeah but he he plays a good bad guy and he seems to play yeah. bad guys in wes anderson films yes um, he seems to play bad guys a lot or or not necessarily a bad guy, but an antagonist. Yeah. Uh, like maybe the bad guy is your protagonist and he's the cop trying to get him. It seems like he does that fairly yeah. often. He was in a movie recently called The Florida Project. He played a landlord 
and I haven't seen it, but it looks really good. It looks like a tearjerker, and he's not playing his typical type of character. He's playing an older guy that is wanting to help help out these kids, but he's kind of reluctant about it, and you know all of that stuff. Yeah. But I'm very interested to see him in something a little bit different. Maybe something a little more lighthearted. Yeah, I don't some, know that I've ever seen him do a lighthearted role. Neither have I. Neither have I. So, so it, it could be very interesting. He's a fan favorite of Wes Anderson movies, but yeah. he's also in several Lars von Trier films as well. Mm-hmm. And it, I love everything he does for Lars von Trier. He does a good job. Yeah, yeah. And then in the scene, you're also introduced to Jeff Goldblum, which this is probably the most tame I think of for Jeff Goldblum like I mean he was still Jeff Goldblum which that's all he plays in his movies is Jeff Goldblum he didn't Goldblum very much in no this movie, he didn't though. he didn't which is you know interesting but I love Jeff Goldblum me too I and love I him love, so much I love how he looks now yeah with the beard and and you know he's a little older the he looks bright, great the bright colored clothes and he's just so fantastic yeah. and if you looked at him sideways you would think he's a gay man but he's totally not he's married and he's got like twins or triplets or something like that yeah but yeah no, i love gold bloom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah me too so but again we're we're going into these vignettes of these characters that just are staples of wes anderson movies yes they're Wes Anderson characters. Um, yeah. If you ever see a Wes Anderson movie and there's not Edward Norton or Bill Murray or Jeff Goldblum or even Willem Dafoe, you're going to be like, there's yeah. something wrong with this. Like, this is weird. I'm, we're missing people. Yes. Somehow. Bill Any- Murray, especially. Bill Murray is basically Richard Linklater's Wiley Wiggins. He's Tim Burton's Johnny Depp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The will is read and they find out that this concierge this swindler that slept with their mother is getting boy with apple and everyone's infuriated because it's the most valuable piece in her house yes she's got all of this art and a huge house and tons of money and that yet they are just enraged that this piddly little man is is getting this painting Adrian Brody goes and confronts Monsieur Gustave mm-hmm. and Zero knocks him the fuck out Oh, yeah. And then Jopling <laughs> knocks Zero the fuck out. And then you get the Jopling introduction with the brass knuckles on each hand. Yes. And he, he looks straight at the camera. And it's a very Wes Anderson moment. Yeah. And he's got skull brass knuckles, yeah. which I really want. Like Gold teeth. Gold teeth. Kind of like dark eyes, like almost. Flat top. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a thug. <laughs> yeah. Very comic, like Dick Tracy villain kind of thug. Again, I just want to be like a fly on the wall when they're deciding how they want these characters to look. Yeah. I mean, that that must have been so much fun. And like dressing these people and coming up with their their individual costumes and the colors. Like no wonder they won best costume design. I mean, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. Because each individual piece is just it just belongs to that character. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that to me is very difficult. It's almost, I would say that it's a, just as difficult as coming up with the props for each scene because yeah. each set I feel like is also a character because you have the people playing the scene, but that set in particular, the way it looks, the colors, the symmetry of everything, which is- Lots of symmetry. Which is super aesthetically pleasing. Yes. But to be able to do set dressing and, and costumes in a way that is- unique to each character i feel like that in itself like that that is just impressive so yeah after the the punch out then they decide that they're going to take the painting 
they found that she had been poisoned, that she'd been murdered. They instantly suspect him. Which plays out in a hilarious scene where he says, she was murdered? And you think I did it? And then he runs. (laughs) They have to chase him. Next scene, they're in jail. Somebody that worked in her house told them it was Monsieur Gustave. Was it the butler? It was uh, Serge. Serge, yeah, yeah, the butler. Never trusted him. He's way too honest. Yeah. And so he goes to jail. Um, even though he tries to charm and swindle the jury and make them laugh, he ends up going to jail anyway. And so now we have these two different worlds where you have Gustav who is in jail, which is obviously like another planet for him because he's wearing the very typical black and white jail outfit and he's he's charming the, the other inmates there's a scene where he he's got himself in a trustee position walking down the the cell block and he stops in front of a cell and turns to these three just giant rough looking guys and he says would you care for a bowl of slop and they mush. just look at him yeah mush. <laughs> yeah and they just look at him like fuck off and he's like it's really good He's trying to concierge in jail. Right. Yeah. Which is just amusing in itself because he just instantly, you just instantly know that he doesn't belong there. And so he puts together a group of ragtags to break out. One of which is Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Covered in really shitty tattoos. It looks like a bunch of first graders put a bunch of like temporary tattoos on him and they were like we're gonna put one here and we're gonna put one on your booby and we're gonna put one on your face like it's just shit it's like arrows and stars and just yeah just trash tattoos he's shirtless through the whole movie yeah he looked rough as fuck well but harvey keitel looks good for his age I mean, he's does he? I mean, he's old as fuck, but mm. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't look bad. He looks he doesn't Harvey look. Harvey Keitel hasn't looked good since Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> was, and even then, that was that's a long a stretch. fucking time ago. Yeah. See, but that was I had a thought about Harvey Keitel because like if you can get in with several directors as being like a go to, I think that's fucking awesome. He's good for Tarantino and he's good for Wes Anderson. Like there's several other directors, but mostly those two. Harvey Keitel brings his own credibility to a movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Because you go through those, you know, oh, Harvey Keitel's in right. this movie. Awesome. Yeah. You almost have to think the filmmaker is good just because they got Harvey Keitel. Yeah. It's like a badge of honor if you get Harvey Keitel. Yeah. And I think if you're ever like, hmm, I need an older tough guy. Who could I, who could I get? Hmm. Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant himself. So Monsieur Gustav and his merry band of cons or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Criminals. They're trying to pull a a less poopy Shawshank Redemption by digging through the floor with these tiny little... With the throat slitter. Yeah. (laughs) Will you please hand me the throat slitter? (laughs) (laughs) Because on the outside, Zero has kind of taken over Monsieur Gustave's position as the concierge and he's doing a great job. And all the while, he is also romancing a, a girl named Agatha, played by Cersei Ronan. Um, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. I always thought it was Sorsa, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it until today. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I, I don't even know if that's right, but that, I've heard it said <laughs> that way. So I love Cersei Ronan. I think she's amazing. Yes. She's beautiful. She's super talented. Um, she was in a movie where she was like a Manchurian candidate. 
It's called Hannah. Hmm. She was very young, and she was just an ass-kicking little girl. It was fucking great. I loved it. She, to me, I would watch her a million times over above like somebody like Jennifer Lawrence. And I, I place her in that category because there's like these up and coming actresses who are like in their mid to late twenties yeah. who are starting to do stuff. Um, you know, Cersei Ronan, Jennifer Lawrence, Dakota Fanning, Dakota Fanning. Like they're all just these really great actresses, but I feel like as far as talent goes and even looks go, I feel like Cersei Ronan is just a, a step above a lot of these girls. She brings another level to whatever she's doing because as soon as i see that she's in a movie i'm like okay it's probably gonna be a decent movie yeah it's gonna be you know at least for her part she's gonna do a really good job she's very good and she doesn't play anyone particularly crazy or anything in this movie she's just very sweet she's a she's a nice girl who works at a bakery she lives and works at the bakery she lives and works at mendel's bakery Uh and she's got a, a birthmark on her face that's the shape of mexico She's just very sweet and kind, and, you know, her and Zero have this really sweet little romance. They're both kind of awkward, but yet super cute at the same time. Like, they're riding on a carousel, and he gives her a present, and he's like, it's a book of poems, you know, yeah. but you're going to find out anyway, since you're going to, you know, open it. And she's like, yeah, I'll just open it now. But It's very sweet. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing that I've noticed about Wes Ant- when he does romance in his movies. The romance is awkward, but yet at the same time, you don't feel awkward. You're not having secondhand embarrassment. You're just like, oh, that's really sweet. It's always kind of a young, new love kind of vibe that you get. And he doesn't do romantic drama no, at all. No, no. It's always sweet, low-key Mm-hmm. You, I don't think you'll ever see a love triangle in a Wes Anderson movie. The Royal Tenenbaums, where you had Gwyneth Paltrow and Luke Wilson's character, they were like brother and sister. They were like stepbrother and stepsister. Yeah. Like, that was the most dramatic that I think I've ever... And they were in love. And I think that's the most dramatic that I've ever seen him do a romance. Yeah. Because, obviously, it was like forbidden romance. And there was a lot of drama with Luke Wilson's character who was, like, suicidal. And anyway, so that, that to me, was, like, the most dramatic. But I just think of, like, the kids in Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Like, it's, it's obviously, again, very awkward teenage love. But at the same time, you're just like, man, I, I kind of wish that I could be that way. They're very open and vulnerable with each other. And yeah. there's not like this fakeness to it. Right. You know, and that, and that's it's what just I. It's very cute. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's the relationship between Agatha and Zero. He is trying to help Monsieur Gustav escape. So he's enlisting Agatha to help him by baking little tiny digging tools into her, <laughs> into the pastries. Yes. And then they bring them to Mendel's and they, like a little tiny little chisel and hammer. And they're just like ting, 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 trying to get out of the out of the jail. <laughs> and the idea is that the pastries look so pretty that the people who bring in stuff that is sent into the to the inmates won't rip it apart. Right. And it works. Yeah. There's this double story going on where Zero is trying to maintain the hotel, but at the same time, he's trying to help Mr. Gustav escape, which he does. I mean, yeah. and, and and this goes into something about, you were talking about the violence earlier. Like, the yeah. violence is intermittent, but it's kind of jarring. Like, there's just, there's stuff that happens, like, when people get punched in the face or they get shot, and you're just like, oh, 
Like it's almost inappropriate. Like the nudity and the language, no big deal. But as soon as you see someone get like punched in the face, you're like, holy shit. But I don't know. I, I kind of felt like the violence was very comical, but I know what you're talking about. And that's the scene where the guy dies during the prison break. Yeah. Which is pretty fucking violent. It is jarring, like you said. But at the same time, there's just an element of humor that goes with it because the guy jumps into the pit to stab all of the guards and he ends up getting shivved himself. Yeah. And Monsieur Gustave is like, well, I think that's what you would call a draw. And then they just move along and you're there's like, oh. piles of dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. But I feel like the rest of it was pretty tame. Yeah. So they end up escaping out of the prison. And, and again, at the same time, there's kind of this, I don't know if you, it's kind of like a murder mystery. It's like Wes Anderson's version of a murder mystery because there's, there's in trying to investigate, you know, the murder still and Adrian Brody's still trying to find boy with Apple. So yeah. there's kind of, it's a cat and mouse thing. Joplin's going around questioning all of these people, you know, killing them. Yeah. And Serge has slipped a note into the boy with Apple painting which is wrapped up and nobody knows this basically with proof that it was joplin that killed madame d madame d of course at the behest of adrian brody's character right it was a scam he wanted to get his money a little early so yeah he mr gustav manages to escape with zero and they're trying to get back to the hotel because they're trying to clear mr gustav's name the society of crossed keys yes so it's it's a group of all these concierges. Concierge? Yeah, that's good. We'll we'll say that. Um, each in their own hotel, and they it's kind of like a. It's a secret society. Well, yes, it's a secret society that they can reach out to, and they'll help each other out. Yeah. Um, you know, support network. This is just a just a really ingenious, beautiful little interlude here. They've got Bill Murray. They've got you. Told me to write a note about. Fisher, Fisher Stevens. Stevens. I love Fisher Stevens. <laughs> Fisher Stevens was in Hackers. He, was, he our, was our antagonist. Also, he played the Indian guy in Short Circuit, which I thought was pretty weird. He was also in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <gasps> he was. Yeah. He's just this really slimy looking guy with slick back hair and <laughs> these really, really blue eyes. And he's a little big and he's a fantastic fucking actor. Yeah. I love everything he's done. I am a Fisher Stevens fan. Mm. I'm probably the only one. Well, I remember him from Hackers and I remember him from some like bit parts and other stuff. But... He's done a lot of bit parts. Yeah. He's, he's done very few movies where he played a prominent role, but he nailed every one of them. So each each hotel has their own concierge with their own lobby boy, and each one has a different color. It's like is, Batman and Robin. They've all got a lobby yes, boy. Yes, and they're and, just... And they're, they send their lobby boys out to, to do stuff. Yeah, and the, the lobby boys would just jump right in. Yeah. And they had like blue and pink and orange and green yeah. and just all these... That's the thing that stood out to me is that they each had their own color and the concierge and the lobby boy matched. The other thing that Wes Anderson does is the zoom shots. He does it to the thing that is important and it's smooth and clean and centered just automatically. Yeah. And we were talking about this on Monday too, about how we either would love to be the cinematographer or absolutely hate it. 
I think the the zooms and the pans were done in post. Oh, you think so? I think so. They were a little bit too smooth to be camera action. I guess that would actually work now that I think about it. Because you think I just think about when we're trying to shoot stuff. And when you zoom in, you have to make sure that it stays focused and centered. Especially for this. Yeah. Like for this movie. That's and why I don't do that shit anymore. I don't I know. I shoot in 4K and zoom in post now. <laughs> it works great. I fucking do it all the time. Well, and maybe that's what he does. I think so. You know, maybe. I think that's kind of what everyone does now. Yeah. But it's just, it's super impressive to me that it, I mean, it just looks so good. It suits his purpose. Yes. Um, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. And and that's the thing also that I noticed about his movies is that they are just super tight. All the fighting, all the movement, everything that these characters do is calculated because it yes. suits a purpose. Like ad-libbing, I don't think... There's not a whole lot of ad-libbing unless I'm mistaken. I don't think there's, I doubt there's any at all. I was thinking of that scene when they bring in the quote-unquote SS, but it's actually a ZZ, ZZ yeah. a zigzag. They've taken over the Grand Budapest yes. as their like headquarters um, because the quote-unquote war is heating up in this country. And so they decided to take over it as their headquarters. And this is where we bring in Owen Wilson. Of course, wow. we can't. Wow, we can't leave Owen Wilson out. Of course, of course in, a, not. in a Wes Anderson movie, um, and so he's the concierge to this this headquarters for Grand Budapest. And there's a scene where he's giving orders to people, and he's going from person to person. It's very fast. It's very precise. There's no pause. There's no hesitation. Like I can't imagine. Like the rehearsal time for something like that must have been insane, because yeah. again, everything is just tick 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 tick. Like it's just like Wes Anderson's standing behind the camera with like a big ass clock and everybody's just like gotta like move to that yeah. time because it suits again it suits a purpose it's supposed to look that way and you know if, if i ever saw a wes anderson movie where somebody was like ad-libbing or just moving without a purpose i'd be like is he on drugs or something <laughs> like what's happening <laughs> it's so strange yeah who invited mickey rourke to the wes anderson <laughs> shoot <laughs> That was something else that I that I was thinking of, too, is just everything being choreographed the way that it was. And it just, yeah. you know, really awesome. Are you talking about the gunfight? I'm talking about the gunfight. I'm talking about any of the fights that they had, like in the train yeah. cars or or even in the jail. Like, it's just all precise. In this scene, pretty much all of our characters are in the same place at the same time. So Agatha is walking down the stairs and she's got boy with apple in her hand right. and Adrian Brody shows up with the cops with Edward Norton mm -hmm. and uh, she just turns around and walks back up the stairs and he follows and that's when Zero shows up with the boxes. Yeah, Gustav is with him too. Yeah. Adrian Brody is like, give me boy with apple. And he was like, no, that's when they start their shootout. Yeah. And there's a really cool scene where it's like from the bottom of the balconies and you see the guns and the bullets, but you don't see the people. Yeah. And so it's just like continuous firing and it's just, it's super it's really cool. cool. This gunfight scene was really cool. Yeah. They kept panning to the different participants in this gunfight. It was just back and forth and back and forth and, and new people were showing up all the time and doors were opening and mm -hmm. people were coming out. It was just so much going on and it was all funny. That would have been a lot of fun to shoot, I feel like. I think this whole thing, would, it, as precise as it is, I feel like it would have been a ton of fun to shoot. I wonder if Wes Anderson closely supervises the editing. Because I think the editing is where the magic is made in these movies. I mean, obviously, the composition of these shots and sets is very important. I mean, you know, you got to start with something good. 
but the editing of this movie is perfect. Yeah. Just every shot, every transition, every scene change. It's it's all just so artistic and Wouldn't you though? Awesome. I mean, you're putting all this work into writing and directing and probably helping with set design and with character. Like I would probably want to be close by for editing too. I don't understand how people who are writers and directors don't also do their own editing. I would not be able to let somebody else no. edit any of my films. No. So I would imagine that he is very anal retentive about making sure that it is exactly how he wants it to look. Yeah. From the from the pan shots to the props to costumes, like I'm sure that he has a very heavy hand in all of that. Yeah. I mean, and not I would to, hope so. And not to say that the people that he hires are not competent because obviously their costume and set designer, they're I mean, they're winning fucking awards. So it's yeah. it's hard to say that Wes Anderson would also be a micromanager like that, but, but at he's the same a man, time, he's a man with a particular style. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder that about people who, about, you know, like Tarantino and other directors that have style. Are they there standing over their shoulders saying, do this, do this? Do they let them go off storyboards? Do they write their own storyboards? I mean, I think it depends on the quality of movie because if you're shooting something like Sharknado 4, I think that the director could get away with not being in the same room as the editor and just like, oh, you know, just do whatever you want. Yeah. But if you're shooting something higher quality, something that people are expecting to be high quality, you're going to be with it every step of the way. I think that's true. I think I'm pretty sure Wes Anderson was all up everyone's ass making this movie. There's a big chase scene and a shootout in the hotel. Gustav and Zero managed to escape outside. And there's a scene where Gustav is hanging off the cliff. Yeah. And he's like quoting poetry because Willem Dafoe's about to like. He's stomping on the ice yeah, trying to, to get, get it, it to, to break. Yeah. And it's brilliant because because Ray Fiennes is like quoting poetry and it's so beautiful. And then he's he, made peace with it. He's he's like, I'm prepared to die. And then Zero pushes him off the cliff and Ray finds it. It's like, holy shit, you got him. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> Hilarious. It's just perfect. Just another perfect Ray finds moment in this movie. He's so fucking funny. He is really funny. And I think he's underrated as far as how funny he actually is. Because his his comedic timing is just like spot on. Yeah. Anytime he does something like with the facial expressions, that's something that you can't direct. Right. You could tell somebody, hey, make a silly face or, or, you know, you can be particular, but you can't make them do it. You can't physically go and manipulate every muscle in their face. You have to let them take some liberty. And Ray Fiennes nailed it every time. Well, and that's why I think that Wes Anderson has always worked with such high quality actors. Yeah. Is because he, I think that's one thing that he doesn't have to be anal about is these people working for him is is these char- these characters that these actors are bringing to life because he knows and he trusts that they're going to be able to do it spot on. Yeah. If you're watching a, a a Scorsese film, that's why you always see him working with people like Leonardo DiCaprio. Like you know Leonardo DiCaprio is going to come in there prepared and he's going to do that character complete justice and you don't have to worry about that shit. Yeah. One so, less thing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's why I think that he he works with such higher tier people. Yeah. Which I wouldn't expect anything less from that any from him anyway. I mean, even when he did like Rushmore, which had Owen Wilson when he was younger, and and I think Jason Schwartzman was in that too. But 
you know, even then they were quality actors. So, yeah. you know, he had a good start um, as far as his filming career goes. I can't help but think that a lot of these people, you're, you know, Edward Norton, Tilda Swinton, Harvey Keitel, probably said, look what he did with Bill Murray in Life Aquatic. Yeah. I want to be in this guy's movie. I want to do, I, I want him to do for me what he did for Bill Murray. That was kind of a magical thing that happened with yeah. the Life Aquatic. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I, I, I'm just glad that it happened. That's all I'm saying. Love that movie. Yeah. It's a yeah, great me too. movie. So after Joplin has been pushed off the cliff, there's a scene where Agatha, where she's like falling out of the window. Yes. And she's holding on to Boy with Apple and she sees that there's a letter inside. Right. And so she's like, there's something in there. And it's so funny because it's like instantly everybody comes together. There's no violence. There's no hitting. Like everybody has just congregated in this room. And they open the letter and it's from Madame, you know, Madame D. And she says something like, in the event of my murder, look into these people, which is her son and Joplin. Right. Which, come the fuck on. I mean. How did they not suspect that? I mean, you wouldn't have had a movie otherwise. Right. Of course. You, You know, you have to have. Gustav going to jail and and all of that nonsense so um, but it instantly clears Gustav's name and he's able to go back to being the the lovely concierge of the Grand Budapest Agatha and Zero get married and Monsieur Gustav decides that he's going to retire and he gives the hotel to Zero who then becomes the new concierge so it all is very like whimsical and oh they got married everything's so lovely ah, and then it goes to black and white and the Gestapo or whatever, the ZZ. They stop them. Same as before. They ask for everyone's papers. Mm-hmm. Zero's still got the same fucked up papers that he had way before. Now they're all tattered up. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a mirror image of, of the first scene where Edward Norton shows up and takes them away. Only this time, they shoot him. We yeah. don't see it happen. Uh, Zero tells us about it when we go back out to him talking to Jude Law. That was the fate of Monsieur Gustav. And it's it's weird because, again, the whole movie, there's not really any heartfelt moments. There's not any time when you're like, oh, that's just... Except for, like, the parts with Agatha and Zero. Yeah. But there's not really any parts where you're like, oh, that's just so sweet or blah, blah. But you get to this part and it's just suddenly like... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so sad. It had to happen. I get it. But it was still like, oh, oh, shit. I didn't, I, I you know, you weren't, ex- didn't, you didn't weren't make ex- me very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. get a warm, fuzzy feeling out of me. But I'm glad I didn't have to watch him get shot because by this point in the movie, I was in love with this guy. Yeah. He was like the best. Kind of a scoundrel, kind of dirty. But at the same time, you're like, a lovable schmuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much An what incredibly he is. lovable schmuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, then we go back to, I, it's not really, I guess, present time, quote unquote, right. present time. And Zero is older. He's finished telling his story and it just kind of ends. I mean, Jude Law is, you know, thanks him for telling the story and is very interested in seeing, you know, Mr. Gustav's room and like he just... Jude's law character has just fallen in love with with this guy and the yeah. story. But it kind of just ends. Yeah. There's they just kind of really... quit making the movie, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, all right, story's over. Time everybody yeah. go home. 
it ended in a way that you were like, okay, you know, the end of that story. But it ended right about the time you're starting to get a little bored. Our our protagonist is dead. You know, we can stop now. And, and they did. Yeah. It was kind of the perfect ending. They're just like, he's dead. We're done. Yeah. And I mean, at the very end, it does go back to the, the main author that started at the beginning of the yeah. movie and him just kind of wrapping up the story and everything. But but what's funny is like, I forgot about this too. The movie starts out and ends with the girl reading the book by the author. You know, she's sitting so on a, a bench. it's a story within a story within a story within a story. Storyception. It really is. Yeah. You've got multiple layers of stories, which... Probably, I don't know if they could have come up with that idea at the very last minute. You yeah. know what I mean? They might have just said, hey, you know what would be kitschy as all fuck? <laughs> Let's have a little girl reading a book that will narrate with this guy who's telling the story of this guy telling the story about this, this guy. <laughs> fuck it. Why not? Yeah. I mean, but it just, it, it gets wrapped up with a nice, pretty little Wes Anderson bow and it ends yep. and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's. I feel like it's almost like going to the art museum and seeing a really nice exhibit and you like you go the whole way through and you're like, oh, that was so cool. I mean, oh, OK, over now. Yeah. You know, but at the end, you get you do get a good sense of completion because of the way they bookend it mm-hmm. with all of these, you know, layers of narration. Yeah. It, it feels complete, even mm-hmm. though it just really just kind of ended. They yeah. just kind of stopped doing it. <laughs> They're like, look, Ray Ray Fiennes is dead now. Like, like, let's just let's just go. I like what they did with the ending. Well, and that's the other thing about Wes Anderson is that he can say a lot of things with less words. Yes. And and he can make a complete story without having just a bunch of just garbage in yeah. there. And I noticed that with like even just as simple as like Willem Dafoe's character, he didn't talk that much. He no. he maybe said like three sentences i think the only time he ever talked was to serge's sister yeah but you didn't need a whole lot of dialogue from him to be awesome no because he had brass knuckles with skulls on him and gold (laughs) teeth and he just looked like a thug you learned everything you needed to know from the visual cues right which is great i mean that's filmmaking that's how you're supposed to do it his more recent movies i feel like he's doing that now where you can tell a story without having to have just verbal diarrhea just exposition 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 like it's just telling the story and letting your characters carry it i I feel like we could talk about wes anderson forever and ever and ever amen and eat about each individual movie that he's done and just just really expound more on on how awesome he is but yeah that was grand budapest hotel i love this movie so much i do too i do too and it like i i don't think i own it and now after like analyzing it I definitely am going to go out and, and just buy it. Like, I, I just probably need to buy all of his movies because every now and then you're just like, a, I want to drink hot tea with my scarf and watch Wes Anderson. I yeah. need, I'm needing some culture in my life. I saw this movie in the theater. Um, I was very excited about it mm-hmm. uh, because my first Wes Anderson movie that I ever saw was Moonrise Kingdom, which was only a few years before this, I think. Mm-hmm. Just a few and I love that movie so much that I basically lined up to see this one and I loved it. I saw it in the theater again and I've seen it five or six times since then. Yeah. It's just a beautiful movie. Charming. Yeah. I love every minute of it. I would agree. It's I would great. Agree. But uh, what are we going to do next, Jordan? Well, next we're going to be doing RoboCop. Fuck yeah. Which 
I have not seen. Jordan hasn't seen RoboCop, y'all. So I'm going to be in for a treat, apparently. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's so. it's uh it's kind of like uh the Wes Anderson movie of the eighties. It's a perfect mix of campy and serious. You're gonna love it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. I watch it every year. <laughs> Annually. <laughs> Done that for ever. So you can find us on the social medias. Um, we're on Twitter at Defire Cinema. Yep. We are on Facebook as Dumpster Fire Cinema. Yeah. Um, we each have our own individual Instagram accounts. And I'm thinking about starting one for Dumpster Fire Cinema just because we constantly take random pictures or we'll have memes or whatever that remind me of the show. And so I'm kind of thinking about starting that. So yeah. update on that a little bit later. But um, my Instagram... It's Monster X Child. Monster X Child. Yeah, and yours is Araya gets shots. And it's gets with a Z. Yeah. Gets because shots. I think that two S's together would have looked really stupid. So I put a Z gets instead of an S. Shots. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put links and shit. Yeah. Aaron likes to post really cool pictures. Like I I'm looking at one that he took of us in our poolside adventure. Yes. Yeah. So that's a really good one. Yeah. I look really awesome. You look actually. awesome. Those are those <laughs> those photos are great. Yeah. Uh, go to uh go to Araya Get Shots Instagram channel to see scantily clad pictures of Jordan. Mm, yes. We are also under the umbrella of Onichan Productions, which is where we're getting um you know with our sponsorship. We're also on Twitch yeah. as Onichan Productions. Yeah, we have a streaming show every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. Yep. At twitch.com slash Onichan Productions. It stars me. It's retarded. It is completely <laughs> retarded. You'll love it. Um, but yeah, and you can go to onichanproductions.com to see all the things yeah. that we've done. Um, links again, to everything there. Links to everything there. All of our dumb videos, news. Um, we've got like 300 videos on yeah, YouTube. We, a ton. We're prolific. I mean, nobody watches it, but... <laughs> But we got a lot of it, so. We just love ourselves so much that we just like to film our faces as much as possible. Yeah. And again, we're going to be at Geek Fest in Colleen, Texas, um, August 16th, 17th, 18th. That's right. Um, we're going to have a booth where we're going to have random nonsense that yes. you can win. Um, we also have a panel, though, don't we? Yeah, we have a panel. What are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> We it'll have be prepared absolutely nothing. Yeah, it'll be a surprise to us. <laughs> We're going to give some stuff away. We've got some donated swag from mm -hmm. uh, from some of our members. We've all kind of pulled together our resources, and we've got a bunch of stuff to give away. Uh, so come on over. I'm going to be giving away VHS tapes. Hell yeah. Where, when Harry met Sally. That I got two copies of Titanic to give away. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. that may or may not be porn. We don't know. They're we don't VHS know. tapes. We don't know. There could be anything on those tapes. <laughs> if it's a murder, call the police. Anyway, thank you again so much for listening. See you guys later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dumpster Fire Cinema. Be sure to tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just come on, Wes Anderson. Just bring me your cock and I'll suck it. Just <laughs> come on, man. Just bring it on over. Just shove it in. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.